Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We are continuing on in the book of First Peter. Uh, we've been dealing with the issue of hope and we've been talking about it from uh, several different uh, books at times, but we've been mostly in First Peter. And today we're going to be in First Peter chapter four. One of the things that we've talked about when it comes to hope is hope is really what you're expecting in, what you're hoping for, what you're looking forward to. The truth of the matter is in this room, we are all at varying levels of hope. Some of you are wildly disappointed with your life right now because life has been tragically unfair. Others of you are looking forward to the future because you've been seeing things work. In other words, in this room, some of you are hopeful and some of you may be hopeless. The the reality is our greatest threat to our hope is suffering. It's pain. It's knowing you wanna see God move Not only not seeing him move, but feeling the weight of his invisibility, of the doubt, of wondering if he'll fix, change, or move in your life. And and it is when you are suffering is when your hope gets slowly depleted. Martin Luther King would say, we must accept finite disappointments, but never lose infinite hope. Dr. Neil Burton, who writes on emotions, says that when he counsels people, at the end of his counseling time, he'll ask them, what are you hoping for? And if he says, if they say nothing, he knows that they've moved into depression or something worse. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so we know then that If you have nothing to hope for, your life will feel like it's in despair, like you are depressed, you will feel like you're grieving the life that you've always wanted. And some of you may be in that moment right now. The good thing to note though, is that hope is not a feeling. There are feelings that come from hope, but hope is not a feeling. Hope is a way of thinking. And so because hope is a way of thinking, you can learn how to hope, just like you can teach a child two plus two equals four, you can learn how to think differently about the current circumstance you are in. It is not what you're in, it's how you're thinking about what you're in. The story you're telling yourself is greater than the story that you're a part of right now. How you are receiving, how you are thinking about your life is more important than what you're going through. So it is therefore important that we understand how do we process the pain that we're in. It is important that we learn this because the people at this time, remember, if you remember last week, I gave you the context of this. We think, man, I'm going through a tough time right now. Remember the three things that they were dealing with. There was a fire that burned down in Rome. Then there were accusations against the Christians that were in Rome. And then the fire burnt down not only their homes, not only were they accused, but then those Christians started to get tortured based on something they didn't do. 
So what Peter is trying to teach them is not just to have hope in a kingdom that's not of this world, but he is trying to help them to process through the suffering they're currently in because if you don't process it right, you will not want to go another day. And so that was the hope he taught them and I believe it is the hope we can learn now. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. We're just going to look at the first part of that, and then we're going to jump down to the other part of that chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Peter has been teaching us about hope, and he says in 1 Peter 4, 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, he's talking about the body, Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Now, you would presume, because we're talking about Jesus, that they would think, well, if you want to suffer well, do something, think about how Jesus prayed or think about his miracles. But they literally said, if you have seen the way that Christ suffered, the way to process through it is think how he thought. And the phrasing they use is arm yourself. Another way would be equip yourself. Another way of saying that is be war ready while you're in your pain. And the way to be ready is how you think. Here, he suffered like us, arm yourself with the way that he thought. So it is important for just for a second for us to consider how did Jesus think about suffering? Well, Jesus, the good news is Jesus in the New Testament, when we see Jesus, he always eliminated and resisted suffering when he saw it. Whenever we see suffering, whether, whether it be a paralytic or a blind man or someone that's a leper, Jesus swung into action. You never see Jesus just seeing someone suffer and he stands over them and is like, what do you think I'm trying to teach you right now? Is this... What do, you, what, do you, what do you think I want? What are, you, what are you learning? Like he doesn't just stand over people and watch them suffer and hope they learn something. He always moves. That means that we can know that any level of pain we go through, Jesus cares. He cares about any level of suffering you may be experiencing. But here's what we know. Jesus healed, didn't he? Jesus blessed, didn't he? Jesus did transformation. He did all, he raised people from the dead, but he did not raise everyone from the dead. He did not heal everyone. So what we must learn is though he had those miracles, not everyone received a miracle, but everyone was blessed by Jesus. So we therefore must learn there's something about Jesus that though he cares about those that are suffering, there will be those who suffer that do not experience miracles in the moment though he still cares. So how does Jesus, so then that means that we are going to suffer. We are going to have things that happen in our lives. And Jesus teaches us while we look at his own suffering, how he dealt with it. If you remember Matthew 26, the night that Jesus was betrayed and about to go to the cross, about to experience some of the worst form of torture you could imagine on a cross. The scriptures tell us in Matthew 26 verse 27, it says, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So when Jesus says, this is my blood for the forgiveness of sins, immediately he's saying, not only do I know I am going to die, I know the purpose of my suffering. I know specifically how this is going to work out. I know I'm dying so that you might be saved. I know my life is being sacrificed so that you might be rescued and redeemed. So we sit and we say, hallelujah, Jesus, for rescuing us. Thank you for suffering. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he knew exactly why he was suffering. But look here, in in just a little bit further, after he does this incredible celebration of communion, just a little bit further in the same chapter, right after they come out of the upper room, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in verse 37, it says, and taking Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be, watch this, sorrowful and troubled. The words there could be, he started to grieve and get distressed. Oftentimes we say to ourselves, I just wish I knew why I was going through this. Jesus knew and he still suffered. Though you may know the purpose of your pain, it does not immediately take away the pain. Jesus was suffering and this is what the scriptures say. It tells us that Later in verse 38, he brings them along with him. Then he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. When Jesus says, remain here, watch with me, he's asking people who have failed him for three years to do one more thing with him. Just stay up all night and pray with me because I know I'm about to die. And what do they do? Anybody know what they do? They fall asleep. Praise the Lord. This is a very important thing, though. Jesus was willing to share his soul with his incompetent disciples. One of the things that tells you is the way that Jesus thought about suffering was he thought of it as something that must be shared to those that were available, not the best people. Because if I was Jesus, I would share with the Father, I'd share with some angels, I wouldn't share with disciples that have been failing me this whole time. But he was like, these are the people I have surrounded me and these are the people I can bring close. So I will bring them in. Jesus is the last person that needs to share suffering. He knew fully well. You know, oftentimes we, you know, we're like, God, what are you going to do with this? He knew exactly what he was going to do with what was going to be done with it. And yet... He brought them in. When he says, uh, even to death, what he's saying is, I'm so sorrowful, I'm going through so much pain, it's like a death. Have you ever said, this is killing me? Have you ever said, the stress is killing me? It's eating me up, it's overwhelming me. He's saying, the thought of what I'm about to go through is torture before the torture. And so Jesus shared. You know, oftentimes when we share, we start saying, well, I know God's got a plan and I know, I know, you know, the the father, the son, the Holy spirit. And you know, he works all things together for the good. And we start, we start teaching instead of telling, instead of telling the story, right? Jesus could have 
done a whole sermon on what he was about to go through. But Jesus felt, if I'm going to suffer, I must share. So Jesus shared what he felt, not just what he knew. And it's important for you to, if you're going to suffer, you must release the sorrow, the grieving, the pain, and the shame that you are holding on to, and you must entrust it to other people because suffering is meant to be shared and carried. If you are not sharing suffering, you will feel like no one cares for you. You can be in a, a crowded room and still feel lonely. Because if you don't feel like anyone understands you, if anyone's willing to bear the weight of your suffering with you, you will feel alone and uh, desperate. And Jesus is the last person that needs to share, but yet he shares. He teaches us that suffering is meant to be shared on a human level, even if those people can't fix it, even if those people aren't the wisest, even if those people aren't the best supporters. I'm not saying share with crazy, you know, unhelpful people. I'm saying sometimes we want people to be therapists when we're really, they're just really faithful. Sometimes, you, sometimes the best available people are the people you need to let in. And so he goes on and he says in verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Or the classic phrase, not my will, but your will be done. I just want us to look just for a second there because we're thinking about how Jesus is processing his suffering. And he says, my father, if it be possible. Let this cup, he's, the cup he's speaking of is the suffering that he would experience on the cross. And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Well, one, he not only shares his suffering with believers, the disciples, but he shares it with his father. And we talk a lot when we are going through suffering, we talk a lot about, I just want to do God's will. Whatever God wants. But Jesus, who was part of the plan to go to the cross, asked his father, is there another way other than the cross? Now, how, what happened? Pain. And in the midst of his pain, he started to ask God, is there another way? I think this is so important because when we are suffering, one of the things we tend to do is we think if we're sick, I just want your will. Well, don't you want to be healed? Aren't there things that you desire? Aren't there things you want? Sometimes we think if I, if I, keep, if I quietly say what I want, but I shout his will, he's more pleased. But I believe what the scriptures are teaching us right here is you have a will and you have desires that must be shared. Jesus knew that submission is not the elimination of his desires, so he expressed them to his father. He felt, I, I have to get this off my chest. Now, he, I know the ultimate will of God, but I have to share that I, I desire a different way, that there's something inside of me that needs to let this out. 
And if you would begin to balance out your prayer life with just saying what you want a little bit more, you won't stuff it down on the inside and pretend that there's things you want that you, that you want that you just don't tell God, like it's a secret. In other words, some of, some of your problem is that you're just not being fully honest about the deep desires that you have. Some of your desires are unorthodox. Some of your desires are wild. Some of your desires are funky and you don't want to tell anybody, but you still want them. And the plans of God are important. The will of God is essential. And yes, as you begin to pray more, your, your love for God will allow your prayers to align with the will of God. Yes. But God is not impressed with you just saying the things you think he wants you to say. You know people like that? That just tell you what you want to hear? I know people like that all the time, you know? I know they want something from me. Like, oh, Pastor James, oh, Pastor James, have you lost, have you lost weight? Gosh, look at you. And you just start trying to get in the person's favor by mimicking what you think they want you to say. And I'm saying, we think God is like that. Where if I just say what I think he wants me to say, I can just go past the things I truly desperately want. And I'm saying the only thing that leaves you is pretending with the person you can be most authentic with. And God wants you to be deeply authentic with him. So Jesus teaches us that our suffering must be shared with people and with the Father, authentically and desperately, open and real. And right now, some of you are living in quiet desperation and suffering and you carry it and you feel like you have no one you can talk to. Even if you have no one you can talk to, I, I dare you to begin to pray radically to God about the thing you deeply desire. Now the problem with that is sometimes you start looking for it and when you don't see it, you get mad at the Lord. But the expression of your desires is healing within and of itself because you must not pretend you have something inside that you don't really have. In verse 12 of 1 Peter 4, Peter goes on to say, and he teaches us that suffering must not only be shared, that's the way that Jesus thought, but Peter teaches in verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So the way that Jesus thought, Jesus felt like he had to share his suffering with his father and with his friends. But Peter, who was one of those people, says, don't be surprised. The word there, surprise, is similar to, because at that time there was a huge hospitality culture, it was similar to having someone have a guest come over unexpectedly, and you're shocked and you're surprised and you're thrown off and you don't know what to do. And what he's really saying is one of the great threats of your hope is when you are perpetually surprised by what you're in. You know, my wife 
and her family love surprises. They are phenomenal at them. Everything is a surprise. They will come down for my daughter's soccer game as a surprise. Uh, they want to do birthday parties as a surprise. They want to show up for stuff as a surprise. Now, my family was not this way. My family was like, uh, today we, 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 we paid the rent. So that surprise, we paid the rent. So, you know, <laughs> my family was not that way. But her family was always doing these surprises. And the one thing that I've learned about surprises and something that you realize too, you've gone to people's surprise birthday parties, right? Or you've had a surprise birthday party or something like that. Surprises are memorable. I've been to a lot of birthday parties. I remember all the surprise ones, right? Because you remember the look on the person's face when they walk in, right? They're surprised, they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And something about the unexpected works its way into our memory in a very deep and powerful way. You see, surprise is the unexpected good. Can't believe this worked out for me. Can't believe I got that promotion. Can't believe that that relationship is working the way that, that, that I couldn't even imagine it would work. But the other side of surprise, and maybe the word that we would understand better, that Peter used here, is shock. You see, shock is the unexpected bad. And for these people at this time, after their homes have been burnt down, after they've been accused of something they didn't do, after they've seen their friends and family tortured, don't you think they would be in a state of shock? Don't you think they would be walking around wondering, how did we get into this? How did my life end up this way? Why would this happen to me? And in reality, it will surprise you how much surprise and shock will take up emotional space in your life. How much it will take up conversations in your life. I can't believe they said that. I mean, can you believe that? Can you, can you just believe that? You know, there, my wife and I, my wife and I could be in Paris and we could be looking, we could be looking, you know, we could be at a restaurant and just having a great time. I mean, just having a great time. And all of a sudden, my wife could just bring up a name. She was like, you know, the other day I thought about Bob. I'm like, mm, mm, mm. Man, can you believe when Bob did that? And, it, and, no matter, and we're having a great time and all of a sudden we've been teleported back to four years before in the, and we start rehearsing old wounds, old pain, old stories, because we can't believe it happened. And don't let me see them doing good. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. But what, what, I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is some of you haven't moved because you're still in the state of shock. And, and what Peter is trying to tell you is do not be surprised by trials, expect them. They're not an unexpected guest you're not ready for. They are an expected guest that you've prepared for. And if you would prepare for this guest, then you'd be more armed with the right way of thinking and praying through that moment. Earlier in the book of 1 Peter, in verse 6 and 7, 
Peter says to this group, remember fires, accusation, torture? Peter says, you've been grieved by various trials. So, verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, honor, and revelation of Jesus Christ. And notice that he says the word tested by fire, and part of the issue they've been dealing with is that fires have burnt down their homes. He's using a play on words to acknowledge. The very fire that burnt your home down is the very test God has you in. And he's using that imagery to help them understand that the imagery of how God uses trial is what we call the refiner's fire. The refiner's fire, we talked about this earlier, that the refiner, this is like a mason, they would, they would take fire and melt down metal. And as they melted down metal like gold or silver, they would melt it down to such a liquid state that once they got it down to that state, it would take out all the impurities would rise to the top and then he would scrape off those impurities. So much so that now, the gold or silver is now shinier, it's more useful, and the mason himself or the refiner can look at the gold or silver and see themselves. The silversmith can see himself in the gold and silver. And in many ways, Jesus allows us to be in the fire and allow our impure sins to rise to the top. He scrapes them off, and at the end of the day, he wants to see himself. See himself through your trials and storms. The Psalms say, Psalm 66 says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Disappointments, rejection, betrayal, lies, slander, the people that you were expecting to come through for you, never coming through. These are the things that can dwell in your mind. And what Jesus is teaching us and what, through Peter is that this is a fire, but it's meant for your sanctification. It's meant for your growth. So you must understand that when you are in the fire, it's, the refine, it's not just fire, it's the refiner's fire. Fire is an indiscriminate fire. It just burns stuff down. But the refiner fire, refiner's fire is a specific fire meant to burn off something specific in your life. Now, anybody in here that has grown up in the Lord, you have read your Bible. I know it helped you. You have prayed. I know it was helpful, but ain't nothing like a trial. Because trials do things that prayer, because you, you want to you increase your prayer life, put you in a trial. I tell you that. You want to read your word, put you in a trial. I tell you that. I'm trying to tell you, ain't nothing like trials. Trials are like the steroids of the Christian life. They pump you up. They build you up. They make you stronger than anything else. Did I want the trials from five years ago? Absolutely not. Am I a better man? Am I a wiser man? Do I love God in the way now that I, I couldn't have before? No but I had to work through it. I don't dwell on those people because I know God was using them. 
I don't dwell on those circumstances because I know God was using them. I don't dwell on those past mistakes because I know God used them. So I don't beat myself up and I don't beat anybody else up. I let God change me and now he can trust me with more. And as life increases, the fire increases. But I'm fire ready. I'm armed. I'm ready for the next fire. You understand? So the more that you get trained in trials, the stronger you become for the next trial. If you're waiting for the Christian life that gets easier, then you want a different life. I, I'm on the adventure version of the Christian life where the, the boss, you know, in those games, the boss gets harder every level. That's what happens in this walk. But it's the refiner's fire, not just a fire. He's not trying to torture you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to train you in righteousness. And those people that have worked against you, God is using them. Though they meant it for evil, God has meant it for good. How do you work through the fire? You have to know there's another side to that fire. There's a, there's a, listen, I'm talking about the other side of the fire. You, 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 you're in the fire, but there will always be the other side. I know what the other side of the fire looks like. After things have been burnt out of me, after you've worked through those storms, there's the other side of the fire. On one side of the fire, you talk a certain way. But on the other side of the fire, you say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. On one side of the fire, you think a certain way. But on the other side of the fire, you meditate on him daily. On one side of the fire, you get so depressed in the middle of the day. On the other side of the fire, you worship midday. You have midday worship. What I'm trying to tell you is you will grow deeper in your walk on the other side of the fire. Daniel chapter 3, verse 23 you know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into the fire. And the scripture says in 323, they fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Bound. In verse 24 and 25, it says, he answered them. The king looks and says, I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. And I just want you to know they went into the fire bound, but they came out unbound. And the fire didn't do anything except burn off what they were bound by. And I'm saying when you go into the fire, there are strongholds that you get delivered from. You, you go in one way. You come out the other. You need trials. I don't know what walk you want, but you need trials because trials change you. But they will only change you if you trust him in the trial. In other words, some of you are putting too much emphasis on the enemy and not the one you have been saved by. You will never grow if you constantly meditate on the people that are trying to hurt you and you never think about the God that wants to rescue you. 
If you just constantly sit back and you get with your friends, I can't believe them, I can't believe them, I can't believe them, and start getting into word and start saying, I can't believe him. I can't believe what God has done for my life and begin to meditate on the goodness and mercy of the Lord. I'm trying to change your life right now. And some of you are stuck in the same situations from 10 years ago. From five years ago, some of you have old wounds on speed dial and you rehearse them constantly and there are chains that you are bound by because your brain cannot, not just let it, you, you can't just let it go. God's got to break the yoke and God will break the yoke as he speaks over your life. So anticipate trials, anticipate fire. Because where there's new fire, there's new freedom. Anticipate it. Anticipate it as a guest. As someone you know is coming over and it's coming to your door, to a theater near you. It's coming right to your door. So let's take this out of vernacular. I can't believe this happened to me. Believe it's happening to you. Of all the people that could, yeah, of all the people you. Amen. Because God, <laughs> we're having a war over here. And this is so important. Because I pray that you do not become a believer that lives in cynicism and constantly thinks about how life is unfair to them. Because let me, let's, just, let's just embrace it. Life is unfair. And there are people getting things that they do not deserve. And there are people getting things that they do deserve. You cannot look at your life that way. You must begin to walk in your unique story that God is giving you. Do not worry about your neighbor your friend or your family, you do not know what God is doing and stop wanting someone else's life. Start walking in the life God has given you. And the unique trials for you, your unique trials are meant for your unique bondage. The unique strongholds you have, the unique experiences you have. That's for you. And so how does healing come? How does healing happen? Healing happens because in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad in his glory being revealed. When he says here, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, if you just read that as rejoice in suffering, well then that's, it feels a little bit crazy to rejoice in a suffering. But what he's saying here is rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. The point of suffering therefore is to train us as we invite Jesus into our suffering. And what Peter is therefore teaching us is that all suffering is an invitation for Jesus to join us 
And so we could say that we should never treat a trial like an unexpected guest, but never leave out Jesus in your suffering like an uninvited guest. As if he can't talk. In other words, um, we need fellowship and we need therapy, but our prayer life is the entryway for us to be able to walk through the pain that we're in as we invite Jesus in. And that is the question that we have to wrestle with is that the thing that you, when you walk into Monday, have you expected it? Are you saying to yourself, I know that there are some trials and some things I'm gonna have to work through. Are you not only expecting the trial, but are you allowing Jesus to walk with you through that trial? Opening up the door for him letting him share it with you instead of just sharing it on your own. I rebuke all the, all the advice that we try to get. I rebuke all, I mean, praise God for podcasts, all that. I, pray, I, just, I just lift those up in the name of Jesus and say, hallelujah, great. But, but are you leaning on Jesus? Is he, the act, is he the primary therapist you're leaning on? Is he the one that you are divulging in the most? Is he your greatest resource? Because if not, you will be sapped of your strength. And you'll be 35 years old living in your 25-year-old mess. And you will just leave, you'll go round and round in circles in your walk with God. You gotta change, you gotta change. You gotta change, you gotta start inviting Jesus in. You got to stop playing these games. Leave them alone. They are back in 2016. 2016 is gone. All right. They are gone. They are gone. Some people not even thinking about you no more. You got to change. And the way you change is by who you're allowing in. Would you stand with me? We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.